0: Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. We, uh, we got a dump of snow in Calgary yesterday, so I was happy to get out of uh, Calgary. But uh, it is great to be here. I still remember meeting Ted for the first time. I was uh, going to Chicago to see about church planning, whether that God would have that for us. And, and Ted was in the training center and getting ready to come here, and uh, it's just awesome uh, to see what God has done as we look back on those days. And, and uh, two young guys trying to figure out, well, maybe one of us young, and, uh, and, and trying to figure out whether or not, you know, God would use us to see uh, biblically-oriented, strong churches on, on the gospel uh, planted in our country. And, you know, when I left, uh, I was in Calgary in 2005, and in, uh, I, I felt called to seminary. I went to, down to L.A. Uh, to school. You know, the weather was rough. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I went there thinking, you know, maybe we'll stay somewhere warm. You know, my wife is American. Uh, my daughters have dual citizenship. So, you know, I was thinking somewhere warm would be great. But every time we'd come back to Canada, I would see that there's just a lot of churches not opening God's Word, and, and being more concerned what is Canadian than being concerned with, thus saith the Lord. And, and so God really started to stir my heart. And, and you know, when, when I started telling my wife that maybe God was calling us back to Canada, she knew it wasn't of my flesh, you know, because I, I definitely would have not uh, come back. But, but I really felt like God was calling us to come back. And, and not just to see a church planted, but God, would you use us to, to influence other churches, to, to get back to the foundation of your word, and, and to, to believe in the power of the gospel to change lives. And so we came back in, in 2009. We had our first, it was October 18th, 2009, we had our first meeting where we said, okay, we're, we're planting a church. And, and, and uh, you know, by God's grace, we launched in September 2010 in Northwest Calgary, and we've been meeting in the same facility, it's, we're renting a gym, we're praying for a facility like this someday, but, uh, you know, God is good. And, you know, one of the things that God has done is he's helped us plant four churches um, in that, in, over the last 12 years. And, and it's kind of funny because people are like, okay, like, uh, how are you doing that? And the answer is, I don't know. I really don't, you know, so let's close in prayer and we'll just, uh, Wait. But, but here's the thing. I do know this. Christ said he would build his church, and he's going to do that until he returns. And, and so I, I, when it comes to planting churches, I want us to hear this this morning. God wants us, not just Pastor Ted and the elder team, God wants every single person who is a blood-bought believer to see his church advanced. And if that, if we believe God's gospel is powerful, if we believe that he's still building his church, then it should not be a question of if we're going to church plant, it's just a matter of when we're going to church plant. Because, because we believe that God is at work and I know right now it feels like you know, we're getting a lot of pushback you know, from, from, from our country when it comes to the church, but guess what? The gospel is most powerful when the darkness is there, right? And, and so let's, let's believe that God is doing a great work. And I, I don't know, and you know, I've got a chance to talk with you guys out here what, what's happening right now, but I know back in Calgary, God is doing something unique right now. And, and so I, I want to just help us to kind of take a step back this morning and say, okay, What has God called us to do as the church? What is the church? And so we wanna wanna just kinda identify those things and then think together about what God might wanna do through all of us as we see his church advanced, all right? So let me pray for us and then we're gonna get into it. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time to gather this morning. Lord, we're thankful that your word is true and that we can trust it this morning. Lord, we're thankful that you, Christ, are the head of your church and that, Lord, you are building your church all around this world, even this morning. And God, were, we're praying, Lord, would we see your kingdom come? Would we see your will being done on this earth as it is in heaven? God, even this day, would you add to your church? Would you take lost and dying people and add them to your family, God? Lord, we're so thankful that the gospel is still powerful today. God, we're so thankful that, Lord, you're using your people to reach the lost. And even today, Lord, we're praying, God, be glorified in this church. So, Lord, would you lead this preacher? Would you help him to speak your word with clarity? Would you help him to speak your truth? For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we want to... If you, hopefully everyone has a Bible this morning. We're, gonna, we're not going to you know, do your typical kind of take one text and just go through it verse by verse. We're going to be looking at two different texts this morning. We're going to get to Matthew 16 in a moment if you want to turn there. But we we'll want us to look at three truths concerning the calling of God's people. Three truths concerning the calling of God's people. The first is this. God calls his people through the church. That the gospel has went around the world through the church. And we think about this, we, we, we know that Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose again. He ascended on the, after 40 days, and then the Spirit of God was sent upon this earth. And, 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 and Peter preached his first sermon on that Pentecost day. And the church went from about 70 to 3,070 and there was, a, there was this great uh, gospel outpouring, and God opened the eyes of 3,000 people. And their lives changed radically that day. What do we read about those early believers? We, we read that they were devoted to the teaching, to the gathering together, to take, taking care of one, and one another. And we're told that the number of those who believed was in, uh, increased each day. An incredible time. And there was more and more people came to faith, and so what happened? Persecution came, and they were scattered outside of Jerusalem. So what happened? The church just stopped, right? Well, no. Wherever they were scattered, the believers proclaimed the truth of God's word. They continued to gather together wherever they were at, and the Lord continued to add to his church. They found out that wasn't, the gospel just wasn't for Jewish people, but it was for Samaritan people. We see that in Acts 8. And then we see that, that it wasn't just for them, but also for the Gentiles. And God was making it clear that, that every person on this earth has access to the gospel. And, and his church was, was spread out throughout the Roman Empire at that time in a quick way. How did this happen? Well, before Christ left this earth, he said that, that he was going to pass on his authority to the church. Now, you want to ask yourself, well, why? Why has God done it this way? Why, why doesn't he just kind of like show up in the sky and say, hey, believe in me and be saved? Like, why, why that way? Why is he using his people to reach the lost? Well, because he's God. And this way brings him the most glory, and we get the joy of serving him. We get the, the joy of, of being his representatives on this earth. Now, thinking about this, this authority that the church has, how many of you have a positive reaction when I say, big brother is watching? Like, how many of you are like, yeah, that's great, big brother is watching, Now, most of you probably don't have that kind of uh, inclination, but but why? Well, maybe because you believe that your life is your own, so you don't want Big Brother snooping around in your life, right? It's none of their business. Some of you don't trust Big Brother and believe that whatever their motives are, they're negative. It's going to harm you, them watching over you. Some of you have experienced the abuse of authority in your life. So the idea that big brother is watching you is a negative, but I want to point out that big brother watching over you can also be a positive. If, if big brother watching over you, if let's say your little brother in the schoolyard, right, and big brother's watching you, it can actually be a really positive thing because what? He's there for your protection. Maybe you're, you're trying to, to learn new skills and Big Brother comes alongside you and helps you in learning new things to lead you, to guide you. It's also a good thing when you know that you can trust Big Brother, right? And that whatever he is doing for you is beneficial for you. So what I'm trying to point out is authority in itself is neither good nor bad. It's what we do with the authority. And I want us to hear this morning that Jesus has given his authority to the church, to, to follow his lead and to use that authority to build up the church. So let's look at Matthew 16. And what I want to look at this morning is verses 17 through 19. Matthew 16, 17 19. After Peter has affirmed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus states that Peter is blessed to know that he is the Messiah and that God is the one who has revealed it to him. Based upon that affirmation of truth, Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church through you. And so we see that in Acts chapter 2. He proclaims the word and the, and the gospel goes forth with power. And, and the church, all of a sudden, as I mentioned before, has over 3,000 people. But as you continue along, it's not, of course, just Peter. You get to Ephesians chapter 2, you read that the church's foundation is based upon the apostles and the prophets, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, that which we have today, which is called the New Testament. And God is building his church, and it says in Ephesians 2.22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so God is unifying his people through the teaching of the word. And we stand together. There is no such thing as an individual Christian person on their own in the Bible. Do you know that? As Canadians, we we can be so individualistic, you know, like, well, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Okay, but what what church are you part of? Oh, I, I don't do church. Well, you are in the church. If you, if you are in Christ, you're in the church, so you better find a local body because that's the way God has designed it. We do not do well on our own. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all else. And if I'm the only person determining if I'm doing well or not, that I'm not gonna be in a good place. And so I need b- brothers and sisters to come alongside me to encourage me and help me. So let's get back to Matthew. It says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Isn't it incredible what God has done over the last two thousand years in building His church? Like if you if you think it's just about up to left up to us, the church would have been gone a long, long time ago, right? <laughs> We know how to mess things up, but Christ is the one who's building his church, and, and no matter what persecution comes against the church, no matter what restrictions come against the church, the church remains strong, and it will be here until Christ returns. And then he says this, I will give you the keys, he says this to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What do keys do? They unlock and lock doors, right? That's what they do. And what he's saying in this, he's, this is future tense. He's saying, Peter, based on what you teach and based on what but the, the authority I'm giving you, when you say something, it's as reflective as it is in heaven. And so, when when someone we're gonna get we're gonna get an opportunity to hear of God's work in someone's life this morning. But when we when we hear that testimony and they're placing their faith and trust in Christ, then we say this, you are a sister in Christ. You are a brother in Christ. You are now a part of God's kingdom. We, we are saying that, that, that they are in the church based on their testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus. This is the authority of the church. And in the same way, as he continues on, he says, "And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If we have a brother or sister in Christ who, who's claiming Christ and they're, they're, they're saying they're a believer but they're walking contrary to God's word and we warn them and say, please repent and turn from your sin and they refuse to do that, then what do we do? Well, we have to say, listen, if you're not going to repent, then, then you're no longer allowed to take, partake of the Lord's Supper because because it is only for those who are are in the body of Christ. And right now, your unrepentance is, we're not sure if you're truly in in Christ or not. And so you plead with them, and if they will not repent, then they are to remove them from the church. That's the authority that God has given us. Now, it's not real Canadian, right? I understand that, but this is what God's word tells us. And why, because it's protection for the church, but also, it's best for that person to be living in reality, to say, look, they're saying I'm not a part of Christ's church based on the way I'm living. Maybe I should repent. And the goal of church discipline is always that that person might be restored to the body of Christ. This is the authority that God has given us to, to say who's in, the bo- who's, who's in Christ and who's not. Now, all we're doing is reflecting what the head of the church is saying. He gives us the authority. Now, I get it. We've seen over church history, some people say the church has the authority. They get rid of the word of God, and they kind of do their own thing. That's a negative thing. But that's not the true church. The true church is walking according to God's word, and then we walk under the authority He's given us. And then we go out into the world, as we're going to see in just a moment. And so, for the last 2,000 years, God's been using people like you and I to build the church. So God calls his people through the church. God calls his people into the church, right? As I've been saying, if you are in Christ, then you are in the church. It's an incredible thing. You go from someone who is an enemy of God, walking contrary to his word, shaking your fist at God, and God changes your heart, and you become born again. You become a new creation, the old things passed away, new things have come. Your whole identity changes. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2 where, where they're, they're gathering together and they're, they're, they're committed to one another, they're loving one another. Their, their whole identity has changed and so it is for you and I today. I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want us to be reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 Being a part of the body of Christ. I I think we've missed it in in regards to Canada of of who we are as the church. Church is not just some religious thing we do on Sunday morning. Church is what we're a part of because of the, the inner change that God's done in our lives because of the gospel. And so now we are in the church when we come to faith in Christ, and now you are this, it says in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have mercy received mercy. This is who we are. I want you to note, when you see that, but you are a chosen race, that's plural. That's not just talking about a single person. It's us together. When you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is now your new identity. May God help us to understand these things and embrace these things. Like, 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 like our brothers and sisters in places like China. Right? you're not just showing up church on Sunday just for something to do to make yourself feel better if you're in China, right? You, You could die if you meet together. And so you are fully in, you're fully embracing passages like these and say, no, 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 we must gather. Why? Because first of all, we are a chosen race. Note he says there first, but Right? So he's opposing. What's the opposing? Before you walked in disobedience to the word of God, you rejected the gospel. But now you are a chosen race. Now look around. There's many races here. That gets set aside when you became a, become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you are a chosen race. What's really interesting when you read about the, the history of the first century church is that they didn't even know what to do with them. They're like, we don't even, like, I know they're from this area of the world, but they, they're they acting so different than their, the race that they're from. There, there was this, one, one first century Roman writer said this of the Christians, punishment was infl- inflicted on the Christians, a race of men given to a new and mischievous superstition. They're like, we don't, we don't, we're not really understanding them. But then Caldwell observes, this about the Christians. That they were so different. He says, it was, the vic- it was also the victory that overcame the world. As Christians lived as members of a new race and paradoxically won over the masses. So, so I want you to hear this. They didn't blend in. Well, when they came to faith in Christ, their lives became radically different. And people are like, they, they're, they're, there's something different about them. And it was so different that they felt threatened, right? And they started saying all kinds of crazy things about them. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But notice, first of all, that you are a chosen race. Secondly, you are a a royal priesthood. MacArthur commenting on this, he says, a royal priesthood is not only a priesthood that belongs to and serves the king, it is also a priesthood which exercises rule. We serve the king of kings, we are now part of his priesthood. And just as the priests in the Old Testament used to represent the people before God, the church now plays a mediating role between God and the unsaved. We have the privilege of going to the lost and telling them that they might be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw in Matthew 16, we have, been given, we have not been, now been given that role as members of the body of Christ. And so we live lives of worship, We walk in obedience to his commandments so that the world might see that he is God and that they might come to faith in him. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are to be a people set apart to serve God. We are to be holy and pure before God as ambassadors of this holy nation that we are a part of. We are to point people to the glory of God. We all have dual citizenship here, right? At the very least, maybe you have more than that. If you're already a dual citizen on this earth, now you're a, I don't know what three would be, right? But, but we are all citizens of heaven first, and we're now part of a holy nation, chosen, royal, holy. These are the words that are said of you as the church this morning, a people for his own possession, These same words are used in Exodus 19. And God had taken his people and redeemed them and brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And this morning, if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has purchased you. He has redeemed you and now you are a people for his own possession. What what does that do to your worth? Well, let's just think about this in, in this light. I, I, this crazy stats. So Abraham Lincoln's glasses. How much do you think they sold for? What he bought them for? You know, three cents or whatever it was at the time. No, they were sold in 2008 for $179,000. Uh, Neil Armstrong's comb and scissors were sold for $31,250. A shirt owned by Elvis Presley sold for 22,500. Why? Why 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 do they become so valuable? Because of who owned them, right? If you are owned by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you are this morning if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have great worth. Amen. Amen. We are a people who belong to God. It has nothing to do with you and I, but solely to the fact that we are owned by him. That's why we have worth this morning, so we praise him. Look at verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, if you've grown up in the church, sometimes we forget this stuff, right? We kinda just take it for granted. Well, I was born a Christian. You were not born a Christian, right? Not everybody who goes to church from 0 to 18 walks with Christ. At some point along the line, you gave, your whole, you gave your life to Christ. He redeemed you. You were someone who had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You were not God's people, but now you are God's people. This is who we are, church. You know, sometimes, you know, hey, I'm Bob. I go to, harvest, I go to oh, harvest, Hope, Mississauga. I go to Hope, Mississauga. You know, t- I tend, like, okay. But who are you really? Well, well, you're part of a chosen race. You're part of a royal priesthood. You're part of a holy nation. You're a, you're, you're a part of a people who, who are for God's possession, a people who have received mercy. This is who we are. And so we need to live accordingly, which brings me to my last point. God calls his people beyond the church. It is not just about to be a, a holy huddle, right? Where we just kind of come together and, and praise God for salvation and then go live secret lives for the rest of the week. Church is more than just a couple hours on a Sunday morning. Church, church we are the church and we ought to be living out our lives for him beyond these walls. This time should be just a time to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. If we have burdens, we share them with one another, we love on one another, and then we go out into the world with the gospel. Listen, what what does it say here in verse nine? He's given us our identity, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people his own possession, but why? That you may proclaim The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like you got a job to do. If you are in Christ this morning, you got work to do. What's that work? You get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This word for proclaim is to make known openly and with wide distribution. Note note the location given in this verse. It's like, at church. Where does it say? There, there, is no, there is no bounds to where we proclaim. Everywhere we go, we should proclaim the excellencies of him, of what he has done in our lives. Are you guys like Maple Leafs fans here? Is that, can you still be a Maple Leafs fan at this point? Well, let's just say you are. And I don't know, it's probably not a great start to your season, but... But when you get together with guys within your time, you automatically start talking about hockey, right? You show your love for that particular team. Well, when we come together as the church, can I just exhort you? Let us talk about the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like, we're, we're going to be so blessed when we hear this testimony this morning. Like, has you, have you ever left a baptism service and be like, meh, that was okay. No, every time you're like, praise God. He's still saving people. His, his gospel still is so powerful. And when we come together in our small groups, as a church family, this is what we need to be about. Proclaiming the excellences of Him. What is God teaching you? What is, what is He spurring you on in your life to do? Share that with one another. Share what God's teaching you, that they might be encouraged and blessed and exhorted. And we do it with one another. This idea ex- ex- exhortation here, we don't just do it at church, we, we do it outside the church. We do it in our neighborhoods, we, we do it at work, we, wherever we're at God will give us the opportunity. I love what Grudem has to say here. The answer to our church for ultimate meaning lies in declaring the excellencies of God. For he alone is worthy of glory. Salvation is ultimately not man-centered, but God-centered. To declare God's excellencies is to speak of all he is and has done. This purpose is too often thwarted by our silence or pride. But even brief associations with a Christian whose speech fulfills this purpose invariably refreshes our spirits. Like, you you just want to be around people like that. Who just have their focus on Christ and they're just sharing what He's doing, and they have this passion and and, and excitement about who God is. Like that's that's what God calls all of us believers to do this morning. And so let's let's be about that. And I I wouldn't want to assume this morning that everyone here is in Christ. I, I know in our church we have some young people who've grown up in the church, but they're just they're not ready. They're, they're, they're still walking in rebellion against God, and I want, to hear, I want you to hear this morning that God is calling you to be a part of his church even today, and he's made a way that you can do that. Stop, stop being in your pride. Stop, stop rejecting God and see that he is the one who has sent his son, that you and I might have life. The gospel is so powerful, isn't it? I got, I got a chance to talk to a, a Muslim fellow yesterday on my way uh, to the airport, and he was talking about, you know, I just feel like if we're good people and we do the best we can, you know, like it doesn't matter, like that God is with us, and and, and, I, you know, and, and, and I was like, well, you know, we, there's some things that we agree on, but, but you get, listen, every single one of us have sinned, but this is the amazing thing. God says if we would repent of our sin and place our trust in Jesus Christ, then we can be reconciled to God. Isn't that incredible? I don't know about you, but the longer I'm in Christ, the more I realize just how gracious and loving and compassionate he is. I start, you know, when you first get saved, you're like, okay, if I can just get those three things figured out, then I'm going to be pretty much done. You know, I'll be perfect. (laughs) Yeah, right. And and as the light becomes brighter in your life, the more you're like, oh man, praise God for his grace. Praise God for his mercy that he saved a wretch like me. And this morning, if you're not in Christ, can I just plead with you? Don't wait. Put your trust in him today. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, talk to someone who's brought you, talk to one of the pastor's elders here. They'd love to tell you more about how to place your trust in Christ. But church, May God find us faithful to proclaim his excellencies together and as we go out from this place. And as we proclaim, note what Peter says. Verse, next verse, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So it's not just about the message, it's about my life. I can't just live like the world and say, oh yeah, and there's the gospel, the gospel should be evident in the way that I live my life. That I'm able to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against my soul. Can I just say what we should all know here this morning? Sin destroys. Every time. I'm so excited for you guys to get into the book of Genesis. I know that's where you guys are going next. I've been preaching it this fall. It is amazing. You're going to love it. But, but you think about that big lie in the garden. Genesis 3. Right, God's keeping back from you. They had everything. They had abundance. They had perfection. They had protection. They had everything. And somehow Satan was able to make them think that God was keeping back from them, just like he does with you and I every day. But it's a lie. And if you're in Christ today, you can abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And this is what God has called us to do. No longer doing the things which we once did. Things like it says in Galatians 5, 19. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. All of those things can, through the power of the Spirit, through Christ, we can say no to all of those things through him. And we need to, as we leave this place here this morning... And then he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We, we to live lives that are morally good, that are flawless, that are beautiful. How do we do that? By walking by the power of the Spirit every day, by encouraging and exhorting one another. When we begin to, to struggle, we tell a brother or sister so that they might keep us accountable, so that we might walk in the way that God has called us to. And then we follow the model of Christ. Look back just a page there to First to Peter, or sorry, just ahead, to First Peter 2, 21-23. Listen to what Christ did. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you, example, you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We need to follow Christ's example. When you think about the early church, listen to some of the things that they were saying about them. They had been charged with terrorism. Nero said that they had burned Rome. They blamed the Christians for that. They called them atheists because they didn't worship all their gods of the emperor. They called them cannibals because of the rumors that were associated with the Lord's Supper. They claimed that Christians were damaging the economy and social progress like there's some crazy things starting to be said about Christians in our country. They're going to say lots of different things. But what we need to do is follow Christ's example. We need to live morally righteous lives for his sake. When people come against us, what should we do? All move to Northwest Territories? Flee? Is that what we should do? No, no, better. Let's go on social media and rant and rave. Maybe that would, no, let's not do that either. Let's follow Christ's example. And if we do that, if we are loving and we proclaim the truth of God's word and we're consistent in our truth and in our character, guess what will happen? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What day is that? when they come to faith see they're going to hear all kinds of things about Christians but you show them something different and when they come to faith in Christ they're going to glorify God on the day of his visitation and then they'll become those who proclaim the excellencies of him who changed our pathway from darkness to light it's an awesome thing you are the church. If you're in Christ this morning, this is what we've all been called to. There are no such thing as super Christians and like I just, you know, I just go to church once a month kind of thing. Now more than ever, it's important that we continue to gather together in person. Like you, you, you need to be known if you're in the church. If you're watching online this morning, can I just encourage you, like maybe you got you know, you're sick this morning. That's so cool, okay? But if you're just like, that's a habit of your life, then, then you need to find a church and be known to love and to be loved. That's what God calls us all to do. And then we go out into this lost and dying world. God calls his people through the church, into the church, and beyond the church, back into the world, so that we might proclaim his excellencies and live lives set apart that we may, be, that we may see his church added to. And so we, we expect what? Guess what, Mississauga? You guys planted one church. I can't wait to see where you're going to plant the next one. Right? Because why? Because Christ is building his church. And so, I, I mean, I, I, when people talk about what's happening in Alberta, it's all him. Right? It's all him. The fact that we planted four churches, if anybody knows me, they're like, yeah, that surely wasn't Trevor, (laughs) right? That's not him. But Christ is building his church, and I'm excited for you guys to see what God wants to do in and through you. Now is the time to be the people of God, to be the people that he has made you to be. And watch out, world. When we are a people set on fire for him, watch out. I believe that many, many people are going to come to faith in these days. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's go to him. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time together this morning. God, it's a great reminder of who you've made us to be. God, thanks that we get to be a part of your church. What a privilege. God, we get to spend our lives on things that are eternal. Things that that are going to matter forever. What, what, What a privilege that, Lord, you would use us who are but dust, to proclaim your excellencies. Lord, I, I want to pray for this church. God, would you, would you just stir them up? God, would you give them a passion as they leave this place to, to be bold for your namesake, to, 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 that they just can't help but proclaim your excellencies wherever they would go? whether they're with brothers and sisters in Christ or whether they are at work or their neighborhoods or wherever they're at, the hockey game. God, wherever they're at, God, help them to proclaim you. And then, Lord, would you be gracious? Would you open the eyes of the blind? Would you save the lost for your glory, for your honor? Would you add them to your church? God, that's what we're praying. We, we know our country is in so much trouble right now. We've walked in rebellion against you in so many ways as a country, but God, we're praying for a great revival in these days. God, would you use us? God, thank you for Hope Mississauga. Thank you for Pastor Ted, the elders here. God, would you just continue to equip them and encourage them, Lord, as they look to you? And Lord, whatever will happen, Lord, be all for your glory, remembering that you are the one who's building your church. Lord, we love you. Thanks that you love us. It's your name we pray. Amen.